for the 14th episode of the podcast. This is your proprietor, Tony Ortega, coming to you from an undisclosed location deep inside the interior of the Earth's crust, otherwise known as the Underground Bunker. Thanks to the intrepid work of Tampa Bay Times reporter Tracy McManus, we learned this past week that Scientology continues its old tricks in Clearwater, the Florida city whose downtown was taken over by the church in a surreptitious takeover 45 years ago. The latest kerfuffle, which had yet another developer being chased out of town by Scientology's style of intimidation, resulted in some fireworks at a public meeting thanks to the one city councilman in that town paying attention. So we thought we'd invite that city councilman on this program, not only because of the vital work he's doing in Clearwater, but also because he happens to be an old friend. Mark Bunker, City Councilman, Clearwater, Florida. What a privilege it is to have you on the podcast. How are you doing, sir? I am doing great, and I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation. Well, you know, uh, you and I go way back, and maybe we should uh, revisit a little bit of that uh, for those few people who may not be familiar with you. I seem to remember first hearing your name when I was with New Times Los Angeles around like 1999 or something. Does that sound, did, did you t- uh, talk to the, right into the folks there at the paper or something? Well, I'm not exactly sure how we made first contact, but that would have been about the appropriate time. I, um, I started looking into Scientology in 98 and was too afraid to put my name out there. So on Alt-Religion Scientology, the news group, I, I was Ben Wag, and then I ultimately, in honor of Hubbard's degree, I I, uh, I changed my name to Dr. Benjamin Wag. And uh, it wasn't until the middle of 99 when Scientology finally found out who I was and came to pick it at my home that um, I went public. So you may have... Um, uh, contacted me or, or heard about me the fir- for the first time around then. I think the first time I heard your name, it was because um, I think you were actually critical of something my editor had said about you or whatever. But a- oh. anyway, I think I heard about you before we actually first started talking. But then, of course, uh, just a couple of years later, I was writing about Tori Chrisman, uh, for New Times Los Angeles because she had come out in a really dramatic way from Scientology and had then hooked up with the folks at Lisa uh, Lisa McPherson Trust. And you had gone over to Florida uh, from Southern California to be involved. And I, what I remember about those days was that, you know, it was, it was a fairly early internet still. And you, you had this ability to get stuff, get video online when that wasn't the easiest thing in the world like it is today. Right. It was um, pretty difficult. There was only one program at the very beginning, and that was Real Player. Uh, And the quality of that was terrible. Uh, QuickTime came out uh, almost immediately afterwards, but at that point, you couldn't stream QuickTime. You had to download it. Wow. it was a little bit better quality, but just for the ease of use, uh, I went with Real Player. So for a few years, that was the uh, the method I used to to get video out. And starting in '98, 
uh, I would have people contact me and send me tapes from all around the world uh, to digitize and, and put online. And I didn't have my own website at that point. So I would share them with, with folks overseas and they would put them up on their website. Uh, Andreas uh, put some up at Xenu.net, of course. And, um, uh, oh man, uh, Roland was the, the, right. the other person who, uh, who was uh, getting the videos out there. And, and after Scientology came to my home, that's when I created Xenu TV and started putting them out myself. And you were also, I mean, you were sort of the unofficial or, or official uh, videographer of the LMT, right? I mean, you were yeah. out there filming all of the protests that were happening in Clearwater. Yeah, it, it took me a year to um, get over my fear. I remember the first time uh, people came to L.A. that I was aware of was in 98. And I wanted so much to uh, to meet these folks, but... I was definitely afraid uh, after all of it, I read about Scientology. So I remember uh, just getting a, a bag full of duplicated videos I made for them and, and driving over to um, L. Ron Hubbard Way, seeing a critic and, and handing him the bag of videos and saying, if you all want to get together and watch some videos tonight, these are terrific. Uh, and then sped away. <laughs> and then the, <laughs> the following year, I took my camera out there uh, and shot the picket that uh, all the protesters uh, did um, and met uh, Dennis Ehrlich for the first time, who uh, lived actually just a few blocks away from me in Glendale, California at the time, but I hadn't met him. I had read about him in the local newspaper as somebody whose home was raided by Scientology. Um, and I thought, wow, that happened just a few blocks from me. Then when I met Dennis and he thought with my big camera out there that I was a Scientologist spy who was uh, videotaping the critics, I, I introduced myself and we became friends. And, and I eventually put the, the video of his raid out online. Um, so it, it was great to be able to meet all these folks and to share uh, videos around the world. And that's how I got started, actually, back in 98. I had um, a video capture card, which weren't, weren't very um, accessible at that time. But I had one, and I, I could capture video and convert it. And I thought, well, I'm not the best writer in the world, um, but here's some, here's some way I could help. Um, so 60 Minutes, I think, had done a piece on Scientology, and then uh, there was another one from CBS, uh, Bryant Gumbel's uh, uh, Public Eye, I think it was called. Uh, so I, I said, well, I, I bet people would want to see these overseas who, who don't have access to CBS. So I put those up online, and that's when people started to say, hey, we've got some videotapes here. or And then some folks uh, like Arnie Lerma had shot some footage and he sent it to me to edit and put online. So that's how I started to be the archivist. And, uh, and almost every day, there'd be somebody around the world who'd say, ooh, somebody's doing a, a, a radio show or um, a TV show. And, and I would you know, try to stay up all night and, and, and capture that. Um, 
or or find a, a way to record it off of um, uh, the radio uh, on the internet when there was a feed. Um, and it wasn't until uh, like 2008 when Anonymous came around that they took over that job for me. So there was tons of people then starting to uh, record all of these important shows about Scientology and, and archive them online. Yeah, you're really a bridge between those two periods. And just, just so some of the younger folks who may not know what we're talking about with raids, there was a period in the early internet, primarily around 1995, I think, <clears throat> when people were beginning to put information about Scientology up on the on the internet and you have to understand Scientology's done what it's done forever i mean yeah. the, the way it, the controversies the abuses they've been they've been going on since the 60s but but now in the mid 90s people were starting to put these documents up online including things that the church really didn't want public and that, that were some of their secret upper level teachings and so Scientology actually convinced some law enforcement officials to raid people's homes based simply on the fact that they had posted documents on the internet. I know that sounds kind of amazing today, but that's what's going on pretty heavily for a while. And it, it Scientology thought that it could contain the internet. For a short time, it thought that. Now they realize they can't do that. And then they really learned their lesson, like you said, in 2008, when, when you and Patty Moyer and some other people got a particular video out to the internet. And that's the one of uh, Tom Cruise giving his interview in the turtleneck. That was so bizarre. It was a nine minute interview of Tom Cruise trying to impress his fellow Scientologists with what a gung ho Scientologist he was. And that created a sensation. Scientology tried to suppress that. And that motivated this loose group of internet activists called anonymous to then target Scientology with a lot of stuff. And then came your moment to shine. Explain to everybody how at that moment you got a special nickname. Oh, um, I was working at a TV station in San Diego working the night shift there when Anonymous put out their first uh, threatening message to Scientology. And it was damn spooky. And I thought, if, if I'm freaked out about this, uh, the poor uh, staff members who are answering the phones uh, in the orgs, uh, they, they, they must be really freaked out. Uh, and I was a little disturbed by seeing some of the uh, things that were being suggested for anonymous members to do, like put uh, sugar in gas uh, tanks at, uh, of the cars at the orgs and uh, so I, I came home and like two or three in the morning, I, I made a video saying, addressing uh, anonymous uh, and, and just saying, hey, uh, you know, you got to do this the right way because they Scientology takes this seriously. Uh, and they can take a cherubic uh, fellow like me and turn me into uh, uh, this dangerous threat. Uh, they'll definitely do that with you. Um and it also reflects badly on those of us who have been speaking out uh, uh, about Scientology. And I thought after putting that video up that there's a you know, 80, 90 percent chance that they would just attack me and say, what do you know? And, and, and try to take me down. But instead, 
they shockingly um, listened and said, hey, hey, this guy's right, um, and dubbed me Wise Beard Man, uh, which, was, uh, which was a wild period. Uh, and because there was no leader of Scientology, uh, uh, leader of um, Anonymous, rather, uh, when the press started asking them uh, for interviews, they started to ask me to uh, go and, 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 and talk to reporters, um, so w- which was weird since I, I was not a member of Anonymous. Uh, I didn't know that much about them. I just knew that the folks that I'd been communicating with were nice people. Um, and, and so... You know, wise beard man became a thing, and these memes popped up uh, that were delightful, and I still get called wise beard man to this day. It was a great period because you know, um, I, I anonymous was an amazing phenomenon, and the the in real uh, life protests were inspiring, but there really was a benefit to these thousands of people paying more attention to Scientology's abuses. And, and I've said this before, that it provided cover for people who may have been too afraid to come out before. And, you know, uh, there was just a whole bunch of new books that came out at that time from people who had left Scientology. Because, you know, with Anonymous um, bombarding Scientology with protests and research and online stuff, it really, it really made it safer for former Scientologists to come out. And I, you know, it really was an important thing that you had told them, look, do this right, do the Gandhi approach, you know, it's it's peaceful demonstration, don't, you know, no vandalism or anything like that. And, uh, I, you know, I just think it was an important turning point in the history of Scientology and making people aware of it. Uh, you are absolutely right, and I, I interviewed several people who came forward at those um, anonymous protests to uh, tell their stories. Um, so it, 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 uh, it was a, a great positive. And for those of us who uh, had been doing um, protests in person at the orgs, if we're lucky, we would have maybe 50 people show up. And suddenly, uh, on one day, the first day they protested in L.A., there were, I I don't know, like 2,000 people there. Uh, And thousands of people in cities all across the world. And even people in small towns. Uh, It was amazing to see the reach. Uh, And it had to knock uh, Scientology for a loop. Um, But very inspiring to, to see what what came from that. And it was part of a trifecta, I think, of, uh, of uh, incidents at that point that uh, really made a huge difference in Scientology's uh, future. Because you had uh, around that same time, not just Anonymous, but you had uh, Tom Cruise jumping on Oprah's couch and uh, South Park's trapped in the closet. So the fact that the media could start talking about Scientology through Tom Cruise and they were writing stories already about anonymous. It, it, uh, it broke that curse that Scientology had uh, put on the media for, for more than a decade of the media being frightened 
to write a word about Scientology, and and suddenly the the floodgates were opened. Yeah, I mean, I I would point out on those on those sort of milestones that uh, Tom Cruise uh, coming out and deciding see, and it for me, the you're right with the Tom Cruise thing because the Time Magazine story in 1991 had really provided a chilling effect when when Time was sued. One time was sued for four hundred million dollars by the Church of Scientology. That had provided a chilling effect, and the press had been shy about Scientology for ten years. Yeah. And then when Cruz in two thousand five was so gung ho, he decided to come out and be sort of an ambassador, a public ambassador for Scientology, and had his disastrous interview with Matt Lauer and went on Oprah's show. He also had a you know disastrous thing in Australia. Um, that was two thousand five. And early in 2005, and then later in 2005 was the South Park episode. That definitely emboldened the press to begin writing about Scientology again because Tom Cruise had put it on the table. Um, So then Anonymous, though, is three years later in 2008. And I would say the double whammy for Scientology then was Anonymous early in 2008 – and then in 2009, the Tampa Bay Times Truth Rundown, because there have always been, you know this, there have always been people who have come out of Scientology and talked about it from you know the 60s, 70s, 80s, and then of course the 90s, people like Dennis Ehrlich, like you're talking about. But in 2009, it was like an entire wing of the upper management all came out at the same time to talk specifically about what David Miscavige was doing in Scientology. Mike Rinder, Marty Rathman, Amy Scobie, Jefferson Hawkins, Mark Headley, Claire Headley, all at one time. It was incredible. Yeah. And I think I think in some ways that double whammy of anonymous followed by these upper-level execs coming out, maybe in hindsight we'll look back and realize that that was maybe the big turning point when things started to get really bad for Scientology. But anyway, it's, I mean, it is fun to look back on these because you, you know, you've been involved in a lot of this stuff, but the thing that surprised me, I'm going to keep pushing forward here. The thing that surprised me was I remember when I found out um, you had been, you had been in Clearwater 20 years ago with the Lisa McPherson trust thing. You had gone back, but then a few years ago you moved back to Clearwater and I thought, what are you doing? You know, it was it it, it, it was uh, <laughs> it was strange. It was bizarre, and then even stranger, you said, "I'm going to run for city council," and I thought, "What is he doing?" And you know, it was this proposition. There's just no question. Clearwater has been under the thumb of this organization for so many years, and you just thought you know what, there's probably enough people in this town that are tired of that situation and want to reclaim their downtown that they're going to vote for me. And I thought, wow, I don't know. I don't know, Mark. This seems like a long shot. And then you pulled it off. I Boy, that day was quite, kind of amazing. It sure was. I mean, I, I was all set to lose. I, I was in, in my mind. I said, well, okay. Uh, if I lose now, I'll have learned a lot from this first run. In two years, I'll run again, and I'll do better. Um, but I won. And I, I wasn't even dwelling on the election that day. 
I, I, uh, you know, I, I had. This was like the first week of the pandemic, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was sick, uh, definitely sick. And I was uh, afraid that it was COVID-19. And, and I, I went in to get uh, the test for like one of the first days that, that they were available here in Clearwater. Um, so I came home and all I was doing was was sitting at home being deathly ill. And um, and I looked up and I went, oh, it's... Oh, it's like six o'clock. They they should be closing the polls soon. <laughs> and I started looking around online trying to find the results. And before I, I actually stumbled on them, people started congratulating me. Wow. Uh, so um, it was wild. And it, it has been terribly exciting. Uh, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the process of knocking on doors and meeting people. And I, I found... You know, I, I felt I had a good shot uh, during the during the race because every door I would knock on, I'd say, hi, I've been standing up to Scientology for 20 years and uh, I'm going to continue doing that on the city council. And people would say, sign me up. OK, where's the petition? I, I, I'm voting for you. Um, there was only one door w- which was not receptive, and that was a guy who had been a Scientologist forever. And I. Um, so he was a little pissed at me and I said, well, I hope I can still count on your vote. And, uh, uh, unfortunately I didn't get him, but, um, it, it, it was uh, a great experience. Um, and I've really enjoyed being a part of the process here in the city, not, not just taking on Scientology, which of course is what's most enjoyable, um, but to, to have a say in, in the future of the city and, and uh, different aspects of it, uh, it, it's been exciting. Well, let's let's go over a little bit of the background on that. And then I definitely want to talk about what's happening recently. Um, that's just crazy. But, um, you know, L. Ron Hubbard um, was extremely paranoid and he knew that the governments in the United States and the United Kingdom were looking at him. And so he ran Scientology from a ship from 1967 to 1975. He was he was sailing the Mediterranean, the Atlantic, and the Caribbean for eight years, running Scientology from a ship. And all you know, he got sick of it and decided to come back to land, and chose the town of Clearwater, Florida. But he knew that they may not get a welcoming, you know. Uh, reception from the town so he had his operatives sneak into town under a a different name the united churches of florida or something and they purchased the fort harrison hotel a landmark in the city and a nearby bank building the clearwater bank building and they were they had established themselves before the news got around who they were so they and they actually called it Project Normandy, right? It was this surreptitious, right. surreptitious invasion of the town. And um, when the local mayor, Gabe Cazares, realized what was going on, he raised the alarm on a radio station, on a radio program, started saying, hey, you know, I, I've noticed there are these young kids and they got billy clubs and they're, they're, they're patrolling the Fort Harrison Hotel. Why would the Fort Harrison Hotel 
need armed guards. What's going on? And he figured out who they really were and started telling people. So Scientology then targeted him with these outrageous, elaborate schemes to destroy his political career, destroy his marriage, destroy his reputation. That all came out a few years later after the FBI raided Scientology. So from the very beginning, Scientology's relationship with Clearwater was entirely antagonistic and about taking over control. They have never given up. It's it's this is the thing uh, I know that you struggle with is trying to convince people that David Miscavige, the current leader of Scientology, will never give up the idea of simply owning all of downtown Clearwater. Yeah. It's very frustrating that um, the the city government bounces back and forth. For the longest time, they they um, were standing up to Scientology, and then they kept the kept them at a distance. Uh, and when I was here in two thousand and two thousand one, with the Lisa McPherson Trust. Um, the city's main goal was to keep Scientology off the front page of the paper. And we made that difficult because uh, there'd often be stories about the clashes between Scientology and, and the LMT, as we called it. Um, so, uh, and, and I'll, well, here's something that really shocked me when I came to town, because I knew the history of Clearwater. Back in 1980, when I was living back in Wisconsin, I saw the 60 Minutes piece about the, the clear takeover. Um, and, and so that was on my radar. Um, so when I came to town, I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to be helping the community. And one of the first things that, that happened is uh, we, as a group, went to the Martin Luther King or the MLK breakfast. Uh, back in 2000. And also at the, the breakfast was the chief of police at the time, Sid Klein, and a lot of his lieutenants. And so I went up to Sid Klein, uh, extended my hand to, to shake his hand and, and tell him what a fan I was of the Clearwater Police. And I, I, I knew what he had gone through over the years and the department had gone through dealing with Scientology. He refused to shake my hand. He just glared at me and said, you get in my way, I'll arrest you. Wow. And I went, jeez, this is not exactly what I expected when I came here. Um, and then the, the Clearwater police, the, the chief decided, you know, um, let's just have the officers work off duty as security guards for, uh, for Scientology, who was happy to, to pay them I don't know if it was 140 or $160 a day to sit out on a quiet street that we shared with uh, the Scientology uh, bank building. Um, and very quickly, we saw that officers who had been doing this duty were showing a, a, an unusual bias against us when, when situations came up. Like um, there was a German film crew trying to do a documentary here, and they invited me to uh, come along with them and and shoot a little video from uh, the street as they knocked on a door, uh, just in case there was problems. 
so uh, there, the, the person who they wanted to interview refused to open the door. So we were just heading back to the car. And suddenly one of the uh, filmmakers said, Aktun, Aktun. And I turned around and there was a guy with a hammer who had come out of the house and he was cursing at us and, and actually hit my camera a couple of times. Uh, and a police officer arrived and we tried to explain to him, listen, this, this guy attacked us with a hammer and I have it on video. And the officer looked at me and said, you work down there on Watterson with that Bob Minton, right? I said, yeah. He said, okay, where's your ID? Uh, which which was kind of astonishing. They didn't even ask for an ID uh, from the hammer guy. Uh, and it turned out that the hammer guy gave them a false, a false name, uh, a, a fake birthday, and a fake social security number. And it was only uncovered because that night the, the, the local, uh, one of the local TV stations ran footage of the hammer attack. And at the end of the story, uh, the anchor uh, said, and Scientology says they have no idea who this gentleman is. And we looked through the, the Scientology publications, and there was the guy's name having taken courses. And I called the police and said, look, he, he's, he, he's a Scientologist, or at least has taken a number of courses. So then they went back and talked to the hammer guy and, and found out that he had lied about everything. And he was wanted on drug uh, charges. Uh, uh, for cocaine in Key West. And then he was arrested and went to jail for a year. Um, but the first instinct is, okay, this guy is a, a nuisance, this guy with Bob Minton. Uh, let's do what we can to get rid of him. Um, so I made a, a, a video, a 20-minute video, which is still online called Scientology and the Clearwater Police, to show some of those instances and before I even put it online, um, Chief Klein had a copy of it, and I heard that he sat down and showed it to the entire uh, department, and every police officer in town knew who I was and hated me, which was really weird. Strange feeling, me, choir boy, uh, suddenly having the, the police, who I've always supported, being... Um, not happy about me at all. Well, and those just are, a few those years, were interesting times. Just a few years ago, you sent me a screenshot from that video to show me that one of the police officers who was um, making a decent side income from uh, Scientology, uh, you know, off-duty uh, work was Officer Slaughter, who today is the, the chief of police. Yeah, uh, but let me say, uh, I like Dan Slaughter. He has been really terrific um, with me, um, and I think he's doing a good job leading the police department. Uh, the, the problem was not that we have a, a police department that's corrupt. We had a police department whose chief allowed corruption to be feasible. Uh, by saying, okay, here's, you know, here's what we'll do. We'll just let them sit out there and be fed by Scientology all day and make a nice living off of it. Well, yeah, you're going to, uh, you're going to be a little biased uh, in favor of the people who are feeding you and paying you. Uh, you may uh, bend over a little bit backwards to make them happy. 
Um, but once the LMT left town at the end of 2001, that cushy job was gone. Um, and they, like every other organization in Clearwater, will now hire the police to do crowd control when there's a big event, just like any of the other major churches um, do on a weekly basis here. So I can't, I can't um, say anything negative about that because, you know, they're, they're an organization which has the right to, to rent a cop. Um, as long as it's not uh, causing the problems that we saw back in 2000, I don't have a problem with that. I, I will say this, uh, Chief Slaughter, when I moved back here in 2013, he wasn't, he wasn't the police chief then, but he, he, he became chief uh, again shortly after that. Uh, he has been terrific about it, uh, and no one, uh, no one uh, bears the brunt of that injunction anymore. Scientology still tries to, to get it used to stop any protest from anyone, um, but the, the police department no longer will... Um, We'll do anything about that. Even though you saw, uh, if you watched uh, Leah Remini's show, uh, Scientology in the Aftermath, we did test it out by having me sit on a park bench across from Scientology's building, and three uh, three or more police cars showed up to, to get rid of me. Well, I was going to um, say, that's, that's one of the more popular episodes <laughs> of Leah's show, and it seemed like a pretty good demonstration that uh, I, I hear what you're saying, Mark, but the, your, that demonstration really did suggest that the Clearwater police are still very sensitive to Scientology's desires. And uh, you know, Chief Slaughter pushed back against that in the subsequent days in the Tampa Bay Times. But um, you know, uh, I think part of the issue is that Scientology has been there now for so long and is such a presence there, people sort of have adapted to that and in their, in their thinking and, and it's hard to get them to think another way. Yeah. Uh, and also, uh, I understand when, um, police are called out to the scene, uh, when, when Scientology is calling to say, Hey, there's people, uh, uh, here that shouldn't be here. Um, yeah, they send out an officer and, uh, in this case, um, they, when they arrived, they found a camera crew and a TV star. Um, so this called for more attention than, than other, uh, situations. So, uh, you know, for me, I didn't, I didn't blame them for what they were doing because, you know, they got a call, they checked it out. They saw there was nothing to it. Uh, and you know, we left, we were fine. You know, if they had handcuffed us and hauled us away, I would be complaining right now, but to me, it just shows uh, how how Scientology uses the system, and I don't really blame that necessarily on the chief of police, who who has um, you know looked out, uh, watched out for my back uh, along the campaign trail. Um, he's uh, he's made sure that there are no disruptions at my meet and greets, for example, when I was running for office. Um, and, 
you know, he, he has been, um, you know, a stand up guy as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Well, let's, let's, uh, now I want to make sure people understand the current situation because I think some people are unclear, uh, what Scientology is doing there. It's a, it's a unique kind of a situation. Um, and I, sometimes I get questions from people, they, to make, make me realize they're not, they don't really understand what's going on in Clearwater. Scientology is all over the world. Okay. Scientology has facilities in every major city and they're, they're empty, but yeah. they at least have facilities around the world. And they, they, they want people to belong to Scientology and take courses, uh, in, in North America, South America, Europe, everywhere. However, Scientology is a, is a progression of, of courses that get more and more expensive as you're going up what's called the bridge to total freedom. And you may start on the bridge in Buffalo or Portland or Dallas, whatever. But when once you reach a certain level in Scientology and you want to go further, you have to go to the flag land base in Clearwater, Florida. It doesn't matter if you're in South Africa or if you're in Italy, or if you're in Taiwan, if you want to reach certain levels in Scientology, you have to go to Clearwater, Florida, because they have at their flag land base, they have this facility for catering to these upper level Scientologists for these very expensive upper level courses. And th that's why they have people coming in from around the world. And these courses are not only very expensive, they take weeks and weeks. Jason Begay, I think, gave me the best description of this. I think you probably did. You did wonderful work with Jason Begay about how, you know, you have to put your business on hold. You have to go there and stay, you know, four or five weeks. Uh, you're paying for a very expensive uh, lodging and, 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 you know, food and everything during that time. And then, you know, you may go because you want to do L11 or some other upper level arcane thing. But first, you're going to have to go through weeks of sec checking, uh, security questions, and all this kind of thing. So it's an elaborate thing. It's very insular. And so that's why the flag, what's important about that is the flag land base is not for the public. They're, they don't want you to come there, even if you're curious about Scientology. You don't start there. It's, it's sort of like it's like their graduate school. And they don't want you there if you're not an upper level scientist doing those courses, Scientologist. And then the, the other thing about it is it is the financial engine of the entire Scientology world yeah. with all these upper level Scientologists coming in each week from all over the world. They're, they're bringing, they're bringing in one to $2 million a week in that place. And as Mark Headley or Matt Pesh will tell you that place makes more money in a week than the rest of the Scientology facilities around the world combined. Okay. So that's why this is such a special place in Scientology and why David Miscavige does not want outsiders loitering, looking at Scientologists and finding ones, even though it's not a closed campus, right? I mean, you and I could walk right. down Fort Harrison Avenue right now and point at these different buildings and they can't keep us out. There's not a fence around the Flagland base, but it's still very insular, and it's just the Sea Org. These 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 young people that have signed billion-year contracts, catering to these upper-level Scientologists who are there four, five, six weeks, spending money like crazy. That's the setup. So 
David Miscavige, the last thing he wants is this, what the things you've been talking about of redeveloping downtown, bringing in more tourists, making that downtown more alive, and not just tourists, but people that live in Clearwater, a place for them to go, a park for them to walk in, a place with, you know, with some, some life to it, with venues and restaurants and, and nightclubs. That's the last thing David Miscavige wants because he doesn't want interference with that financial engine. So that's, that's a situation, isn't it, Mark? And, and how, why is it so hard for the city of Clearwater to compete with that? Well, it is quite a racket, and uh, I, I think uh, David Miscavige is into racketeering here, and I, I keep making that point. Um, it's so much easier to say no one's going to help us. We have to we have to try to find a way to coexist with Scientology. Uh, and that easy way out is the problem. Uh, when people come to downtown Clearwater, uh, I know I got this uh, feeling when I first came here back in 99. It's creepy. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just there's a, uh, just a feeling uh, that, uh, ooh, this is uncomfortable. But as I... As I, when I moved here uh, in 2000 and lived here, it just became my downtown. Um, so that creepy factor is from all the stories that we've heard about Scientology, the fact that they've scared everyone away and the place is deserted. And for decades, the only people you saw, uh, you saw walking around downtown were Sea Org members in uniform, first uh, in their you know naval uniforms and then the one concession that Miscavige ever made to the city of Clearwater uh, back in the 90s, um, uh, our then city manager, uh, Bill Horn, um, convinced Miscavige to get them out of those uh, military uniforms, and they, they switched over to some pastel look. Um, and, and it still was creepy. <laughs> but, now, now, um, now they look like now they look like Olive Garden waiters and waitresses. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. But now they're not even walking in the street because they've opened up the flag building. So most of the uh, most of the reason they had to walk around before was they'd be going from Fourth Harrison, for example, to the bank building where they were fed, uh, you know, three times a day. Uh, now pretty much all business is taking place inside the flag building. So uh, the, the streets are, are, are empty for the most part. Uh, and we've had some success over the past year of bringing some life back downtown. Uh, during the pandemic, we, we allowed the restaurants to put out tables and chairs on the, on the street. We closed off a couple blocks of the street and some restaurants have been very successful in the four and 500 uh, block. But very limited. Uh, if we can get people down here, people uh, get comfortable um, and they're willing to come back. So what what we've been trying to do is get people living down here because that's the only way you can make any downtown work is you have people living there who will work there, play there, 
you know, dine there um, and uh, fill up those restaurants, uh, get some stores open. Uh, we've got a chance now. We have a New York developer coming in, Gotham, who um, has proposed uh, putting up some major properties on our, our two bluff properties that we had for sale, still have for sale. They, you know, we, the people of Clearwater have to vote yes on a referendum question whether we sell this to the developers so they can put up 600 apartments and a hotel and restaurants and retail. And uh, it's going to be a spectacular thing to have downtown that really will break this 50-year Scientology curse on the downtown. Uh, And that is going up with the, you know, right next to our new uh, refurbished Coachman Park. We're we're spending way too much money. We're we're like $85 million into this Imagine Clearwater project where we're making a beautiful waterfront park with a 4,000-seat amphitheater. So the the hope is this is going to bring everyone downtown and, and Scientology will be buried. If you if you wander through, uh, you know, Hollywood Boulevard or you're passing Big Blue on Sunset, it's not necessarily creepy. It's just another component of the wackiness of L.A. Right. when you're seeing the Scientologists wandering around Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, and what I've been trying to explain to people is it's only creepy if you if you allow it to creep you out. Um, I have found that Scientology is so much more afraid of them than I am of, uh, of Scientology. Uh, 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 wait a minute. I think I, I may have. Missed, <laughs> I think I know. I there. think I know what you meant. Yeah, they're so much more afraid of me than I am of them. Like I right. will walk right. down uh, the street and I can see building after building close their doors, pull the blinds, lock the door so I can't get in. I've seen security guards trying desperately to get off the street when I'm uh, I'm nearing, uh, and the people inside are going, no, we can't open the door. No, no. And it's like, come on, guys, just open the door. Let them in. I'm not going to do anything. I'll turn my back. It'll be fine. Um but there's there's such a panic because oh my god there's an SP out there. When um, when do pe- when do people get a chance? When do the people of Clearwater get a chance to vote on this? Uh, this fall in, in the fall election, I, you know, I don't even know what the um, election day is. Uh, the but the November November election, uh, yeah. Okay, well, and and here's some added incentive if if you're from Clearwater and you're listening to this, not only will the people of Clearwater get this whole new set of apartments, hotel, this park is being transformed, but all of it is right up against Tom Cruise's condo. Yes. Um, Tom, Tom Cruise, uh, this is, there's this Mexican Scientologist, wealthy Mexican Scientologist family that bought a bank, a, a, an old decrepit bank in downtown Clearwater and completely refurbished it to make, put in condos. And Tom Cruise bought the top two floors. He also bought uh, a condo lower down in the building for his mother, who sadly passed away before that was completed. But also in that building, Chris McQuarrie owns a, a, a condo, The you know Tom's movie-making partner, writer, director. 
um, and and his sisters have condos. That that building is shot through with these celebrity Scientologists, and uh, it right now it has this unobstructed view of the intracoastal and then out towards the beach. Um, all this construction Mark's talking about is going to be right down there at the base of that building, so you'll you'll have a chance to hang out right by Tom. So uh, I don't know that he bargained with that when he when he bought that place. But anyway, uh, that sounds like a great solution, Mark. Yeah, uh, and uh, if we can convince people to to vote yes, uh, it's going to work. Um, I'm convinced of that. Uh, the the plans are spectacular. Uh, Back in 2000, when I lived here, the city was ready to um, to give the downtown to an uh, to an out of town developer for a dollar a year for 99 years, and the people voted it down. Wow! Uh, and I remember the the day before people went in to vote, the the then uh, St. Petersburg Times ran a poll that said 66 percent of the people felt it would only benefit Scientology. And 100% of the people who were polled said, even if it was redeveloped, they wouldn't come downtown. And I thought, well, those are troubling numbers. I wonder how the developer feels about this. And man, they didn't like me asking that question. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case this time. Uh, there, There are definitely people who are concerned uh, about uh, Scientology's uh, uh, involvement, and they're not involved. Uh, it's the last thing that Miscavige wants. Let me just uh, share a, a story yeah. of, of uh, from the campaign trail. Um, uh, there was one couple that invited me into their home as, uh, as I was gr- grabbing signatures, and they were telling about their neighbor who was a UPS driver. And he had dropped off a package downtown and had got back into uh, his vehicle and in the back of the vehicle hiding behind uh, among the packages was a sea org gal who was uh, crouching down there saying just please take me away i need to get away from here and the driver panicked and said no no i you know i can't i you know i've got a job to do uh and he kicked her out wow. that's what miscavige is afraid of He's afraid that that someone from the Sea Org can make a, a, a run for it in the crowd, um, that he doesn't have control over every single inch of the downtown. Um, and, and so, you know, if the people of Clearwater realize what a what a horrible impact it would have on Slappy, I think that might uh, convince <laughs> them to uh, to vote yes. Well, you know, he's so he's so uh, he's so paranoid and petty and vindictive Um, as part of this Imagine Clearwater. uh, There's a parcel of a very small little basically parking lot size piece of land that Miscavige does not want the city to develop. And he tried his best to get his hands on it. The city told him no. And um, there's a whole story I've written about that. But the, the, the point is, his his form of revenge, and this was all uncovered brilliantly by uh, Trace McManus of the Tampa Bay Times, Miscavige's revenge was to have a, uh, several wealthy Scientologists 
go out on a buying spree and essentially doubled Scientology's footprint in the downtown. So the situation is even worse today than it was just five or six years ago as far as how much property Scientology either controls directly or through some of its wealthy parishioners. And even just recently now, we're reading about how a developer who was who was trying to put together some affordable housing in an old firehouse was basically scared away because Scientology put pressure on him. Scientology wants that building. And uh, that was the video we saw the other day at the, at the bunker is uh, you, you, you were nice enough to send me a copy of, of a video you put together showing how you tried to, you know, you confronted the mayor and the city attorney about, Hey, you know, we didn't even know these negotiations were going on that ended up scaring away this developer. And they were not happy with you, Mark, that you brought that up in a public meeting. No, I'm, I, I was a little surprised how poorly they took it. <laughs> I guess I, I just have my TRs in, uh, so I can't be bull baited. And I assume everybody should be that way. You know, if a Scientologist is coming up uh, on the street and saying something horrible to me, uh, okay, fine. I, I'm glad you said it on camera. Uh, so when I'm a little bit critical of the fact that the city manager um, didn't uh, inform those of us on the council that this was happening, um, he got very upset about that and and um, thought that I was throwing him under the bus, which you know was not the intent. The intent was to say, listen, the the way the city government is set up. The council makes the decision about what we want to see go forward, and then the city manager's job is to implement it, um, not to work with Scientology to, to uh, you know, ultimately uh, chase that development out of town. And, and in fairness to John Jennings, our city manager, uh, I believe him when he says that uh, his hope was that we would just find another piece of property uh, for the affordable housing uh, uh, building, and we'd have those 81 apartments, and, and Scientology could hide their L. Ron Hubbard Museum on, on this piece of land where the firehouse is. And everything yeah, will let be me, fine. Let me, It'll be a win-win, but instead... Yeah, let me, just, let me just give Jennings some credit on that. I don't know if he deserves it exactly, but he, his story was that... Um, the reason why he wanted to see that firehouse possibly be part of a swap with Scientology is that at this point, apparently David Miscavige is talking about putting together a museum to L. Ron Hubbard uh, in a part of town where everybody going to the beach on the causeway would have to pass it. It would, you know, and you have to understand the way Clearwater is laid out. You know, some people, fly into Tampa or whatever, get in their rental car and go straight to the beach, right? They don't even stop right. in, in, in creepy Scientology downtown. They, they get on what's called the causeway, take a bridge over the intracoastal, and they go right to the beach, which is very popular and thriving. And David Miscavige is apparently talking about putting a museum right there so that as you're going past the downtown, you would at least see this monument to L. Ron Hubbard. And, and it would make the situation, it would make the impression of Scientology's ownership of downtown even worse, right? And so what Jennings says he was trying to do 
the reason why he wanted possibly to use the firehouse in a swap was the firehouse we're talking about, the old firehouse that's empty now, is sitting right behind the flag building, basically. It's just east of the flag building. So if you put the L. Ron Hubbard Museum there, it would kind of make sense because it'd be part of that Scientology campus. Um, So I can understand that he might want to do that so it wouldn't be so visible for people driving on the causeway. But in the meantime, this affordable housing project uh, got killed. And, and Tracy McManus's reporting seemed to indicate that basically the, the developer was intimidated by Scientology. And hopefully that won't happen with this, this Gotham developer. Uh, but I have to, I'm, well, I'm sure some I, people I will be afraid will. of that. No? Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. But, uh, uh, you know, these folks, uh, I think, uh, have the stomach to take it on. And what I see as a positive, but uh, kind of worried some others in town was uh, a couple of the attorneys that Scientology often uses um, are involved with this project. That doesn't mean Scientology has any type of hand in these, um, these properties going up on the bluff. But I do think it means if Scientology starts causing a problem, we have somebody who directly speaks with uh, Scientology who can say, hey, this isn't, this isn't good. Um, so I'm hoping that having them as a liaison will, will be a positive thing. Because um, they, you know, they aren't out there doing dirty work, but like so many uh, uh, attorneys uh, in Clearwater, um, Scientology pays for the high-priced people who have all the connections. So... Um, they're, they're bound to, they're, they're bound to have some people, uh, with fingers and everything. Um, but, uh, you know, talking with these people, I don't feel uncomfortable with them being involved and, and I don't think it's going to really have anything but a net positive, um, to keep uh, Scientology away from sabotaging the whole thing. Uh, this is too big of a deal for these established developers to be scared off by Scientology. Well, I think uh, here's, uh, I th- here's one thing that, that came from our little conversation, our uncomfortable conversation in, in last week's meeting when I, yeah I called everybody out about this. Uh, you know, our, our city manager, John Jennings, wouldn't go on the record before uh, that meeting that um, the location of the L. Ron Hubbard Museum keeping it away from where the public would see it was one of the goals that he had. Um, you know, Tracy tried to get him on the record on that beforehand, uh, but he uh, he's on the record now. Uh, yeah. You know, is saying the city doesn't want an L. Ron Hubbard museum where people can see it. And we should be saying that uh, no matter where it's put. Uh, you're, an L. Ron Hubbard museum is not welcome. Uh, you know, they've got the superpower building, the flag building. It's a huge building. You want a museum. The only people who are interested are parishioners. Put the museum in, in the flag building, okay? Uh, there's there's plenty of room for it there. Well, and let uh, me just point out, there already is a museum to Hubbard and the Apollo on, like, the second or third floor. I, I, ha- I have the original you know, schematics for that building. And, and, and they have published pictures since then. They already have a little museum in there, but let Mm -hmm. me, let me, let me, let me point this out to you, Mark. And that is 
the flag building itself is this incredible city block size monument to David Miscavige. Can't L. Ron Hubbard have his own little building, Mark? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, he can put it over in Largo. <laughs> well, look, I, I think I, I really like your idea that, you know, look, Scientology owns half the downtown. They're not going anywhere. But, you know, put the other stuff in and it's more like Hollywood. It's alive. Okay, the Scientologists right. are there, but, you know, right. you can point your finger at them and laugh. Big deal. Yeah. I like that. That's cool. Um, but I also want people to understand, I, I, you know, I've been watching you obviously since you got in there and I just really admire uh, your equanimity, the, the, the way that you, um, are, are so, uh, uh, open and, uh, accepting of other people. Uh, I hope the people of Clearwater appreciate what they have in you as a city councilman. Um, but I also want people to understand when it comes to things like, you know, the abuse, the 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 fact that these foreign workers are being brought under falsely in, in R1 visas, religious visas, their their passports taken away. It's basically labor trafficking. Their their families are being split up. Young women are being forced into abortions. Uh, people are being bankrupted every day with extortion. That's the federal government's responsibility to do something about. And I know people get frustrated that the city of Clearwater doesn't do more. But really, it's the federal government that needs to be investigating that and doing something about it. And I hope someday they do. But in the meantime, Mark, I, I personally think, you know, I really admire the work you're doing there. Well, thank you. But here's here's my belief on that. The city of Clearwater should be working with the state and federal government to deal with these things, making sure they understand that just down the block from us, the human trafficking is happening. That, you know, all of these abuses happen within our downtown core, essentially. And the fact that we turn a blind eye to it is the most frustrating thing possible. And before this story about uh, losing the affordable housing was published, I had known about it because Tracy called to ask me some questions about it. And that happened on like a Thursday afternoon. And Thursday night was our meeting. And I, I wasn't supposed to say anything to anyone about the article coming out. But I was furious. And we had our, our state senator, Ed Hooper, coming to talk uh, to our meeting. And um, when it came uh, time for me to say something, I said, we need the state and federal government to help us with Scientology. And he was not happy about that at all. And he yeah. uh, he said, um, oh, I said, I wanted to sit down and talk to him about that. And he said, well, we could talk, but you won't like the answers. And I said, that's the problem. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, it, is, it is frustrating that people don't want to take this seriously and do something to change it. Um, not our problem is way too easy uh, a, a position to take. So I keep pushing. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we have really enjoyed watching you uh, at the bunker uh, uh, and I'm looking forward to more. And uh, let's hope the people of city, the, the city of Clearwater can uh, get that uh, bluff development going. I think, uh, you know, who doesn't yeah. want to hang out near Tom Cruise, right? <laughs> It's going to happen. Uh, our our um, 
park and the amphitheater is well underway. That's going to open next summer. Um, and then the apartments and the hotel will, will come a year or two after that. Uh, but it is going to tr uh, transform everything. And um, so uh, I, I'm excited to, to be here to be a part of it. I, I hope when I run for election, re-election in a couple of years that I'll, I'll have a chance to serve another term. Um, I, I know the, the uh, you know, the, the powers that be will probably be um, working hard to make sure I don't get reelected, but um, you know, I, I want to keep making a difference. Uh, one little thing, you mentioned the articles that you, you have written about this. One little thing I do behind the scene is um, most days of the week, if you write anything that has to do with human trafficking and Clearwater and Scientology, those things get, get sent throughout City Hall by me. It's a little thing, but I want them in the record. I want everyone to to see and read these. And when people do public uh, records requests, they'll all pop up. Um, so we can't say that we don't know what's happening here. We do. We just don't want to do anything about it. Well, I appreciate that, Mark. Thanks for getting the word out about the underground bunker. And it's always a pleasure to check in with Mark Bunker, the wise beard man. Tony, you do great work. I'm always happy to chat, chat with you. Thanks a lot, Mark. Talk to you later. Bye. Again, again.